I'd invite you back to your seats at this time. Glad we could have that time of coffee and connection time. And we're going to continue uh, digging in God's Word today uh, in our series called Crossing Over. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here, and I hope you feel welcome. You might notice there's something a little different this morning. We sung a day camp song, and we have some kids that are in service this morning. Summertimes we do things a little differently around Jericho, and we do uh, something called family-friendly Sundays, where we... Uh, our Sunday morning services are for kids right up to adults. And so kids, if you have not grabbed your little fun worksheet based on what we're going to talk about today, you can go to the Welcome Center right now and grab that. And if there's an adult or two that, you know, just needs that, you can be a big kid and go grab it too. Uh, We're going to dig into our word. But before we do, speaking of kids, is this not a great painting? Why don't you show it on the overhead there? Uh, this was done by Anna Dickey, uh, and every week, as you can see, uh, we have a number of uh, uh, drawings and uh, canvases. Uh, there is a drawing done based on the text, and so Anna Dickey and her mom have uh, painted this up, an accurate depiction of our story for today. You know, the Bible is full of some amazing stories, and we've been going through awesome narratives, looking at numbers, and now we're into Joshua, and they're just powerful stories. Last week, Ruth Ellen walked us through Jericho and the walls tumbling down, and just the miracle that happened as the Israelites step out in ridiculous faith And great things happened. Well, today we want to piggyback off that. We want to continue. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles or your UVision app on your smartphone to Joshua 7. And we're going to look at Joshua 7. Uh, And as you do that, kids, I have something for you guys. If, If all the kids can come forward for a second. All the kids. All the kids. You're going to want this. There might be some chocolate involved. But if you don't come to the front, you're not going to get it. So come on, kids. Or big kids. Yeah, you can come up too if you want. Yeah, Ruth Allen, you can come up. That's fine. Why don't the youth come up too? All right. So, so, so hidden around the room right now are a bunch of gold coins, okay? And you guys can go and grab three. Oh, now they come up. As soon as I say gold chocolate coins, they're up. Uh, if you're sitting in your seat and you're a kid, you can join us in a second. And so you guys are going to have a minute and a half to find the gold coins around the room. Uh, try three each and then help the younger kids, okay? You go. Go now. Maybe we can have some finding music while we're at it. No. Not that one. That was a good try, Josh. Looking around. Oh, I see some on the ledge over there. We'll help the other kids if you found yours. Did you find one? No, there's there's none in there. None in there. And you can't steal the gold bar right here. Alright, you only got a couple more minutes left. Alright, adults good at catching. Here. There you go. There's some chocolate for the adults in the crowd and the... Oh, at the back too. 
Does that work? I'm a youth pastor. This is how I do it. There you go. Little over there. Watch your head. You got to be looking when you're at Jericho Ridge. Otherwise, you won't be able to stay awake to my message. I, I know. A couple more. There we go. Save some for me. Great. Did you get all the chocolate coins? Great. You guys can have a seat again. Oh, awesome. That was the baby Einstein version of the flight of the bumblebee. You know, and in the same way that we were looking for coins, as the youth and the kids were looking for coins, Joshua had a little treasure hunt of his own. With God's help. And so we're going to read. And so we're in Joshua, Joshua 7. And I'm going to start actually one verse earlier at Joshua 6, verse 27. And it says this. And remember, this is just after Jericho has been taken over. God did an amazing miracle. And they took this powerhouse area, this fortress So the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. Chapter 7, verse 1. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. Ah, man. (laughs) Celebration didn't last too long. (laughs) We're already in the bad books again. A man called Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achim was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, of son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. This is the summary of what's going to take place, and often the biblical writers will do that. Let's continue with the story. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Beth-Aven. I'm just going to stop there for a second. As kind of a tidbit, as, a, as, a, as an aside... I love the way God uses the gifts of his people. God doesn't tell us every step of everything we need to do, but he uses the natural abilities. And Joshua was a commander. He commanded the army well. And so if you look on the screen, you'll see a map of the promised land that was to be taken. And if you look on it, you can see that I is actually in the river valley here. And on both sides, there are mountains. The brilliance of this is that God was using Joshua and his commanding abilities to go in and put a wedge between the nations so they couldn't partner against Israel. And so Joshua uses that. And we can see in future chapters how Joshua does a complete conquest and, and is God's vessel in giving Israel the land that was promised to him. And I just thought that was so cool. And as I was doing my research, I found that out, so I thought I'd share that with you. Let's continue in our story, though. Joshua sent out his men, the spies. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go out there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack I. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. This wasn't a cocky statement. This was an honest picture of what they saw in I. Don't send up all the men. We have a huge, long conquest. We're taking the entire promised land. Just send up enough 
to do it. This will be more than enough. And so Joshua sends the higher of the two numbers. Uh, He sends 3,000 warriors. But they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slopes. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. This idea of melting away, fear melting away courage, occurs a lot in Joshua. And generally when it's used, it's used to talk about the courage melting away of the armies that are enemies to God. It talks about it in Jericho. It talks about as they went and spied out the land. And it continues to talk about it throughout the, the book of Joshua. About just melting in fear. It's really easy for an army to attack when their enemies are melting in fear. But here... There's a change. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothes in dismay, threw dust on their heads, bowed down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O Lord! And I love this. This is not a grumbling man. This is a righteous man. So hear this lament. Hear him honestly, authentically sharing his heart with God and the community as he says this. He says, Oh Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Anamites just kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. We've heard that before. The Israelites grumbling the, the Red Sea encounter where the Egypt's army was coming against the Israelites. And they shout, oh Lord, why have you brought us out here just to let us die in the desert? It happened again with water. It happened numerous times. There was grumbling in the midst of Israel throughout their history. This is not one of these times. Joshua is crying out to God because he has been promised the promised land. God has told him to be bold and courageous. And then this happens says, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. I think he said it just like that too. He said, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this. He's saying it's, it's obvious here. Israel has sinned. I am with you. You know that. I said be bold and courageous. Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. Can you sense Achan's dismay? The fear coming on Achan as he realizes that he's... This, this is Achan's sin that we're talking about right now. It's among his belongings. It says that is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. 
For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. So Joshua goes right to everybody else and he says, get up. Maybe not quite like that. He says, get up, command the people to purify themselves in the preparation for tomorrow. Purifying them. It means wash your clothes and uh, to wash yourselves. And there were some other things uh, involved in the consecration before the next day when they would present themselves to God. It says, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. In the morning, you must present, and then God goes on to say, or Joshua says, this is how it's going to be done. You're going to present yourselves, and God is going to handpick the person who has done this evil, or the people who have done this evil in Israel. Verse 15 says this, the one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire along with everything he has, for he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. And so this takes place. The next day they, they do this and Achan is brought forward. And verse 19 says, then Joshua said to Achan, my son, Give glory to God, the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. The tone of Joshua has changed. I I, I see an air of confidence about Joshua again in this verse, and I also see an actual care for Achan. And there is a formality as well, but there seems to be a hidden care behind that. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. And at the end of the day, they find the gold or bar, the silver, and the robe buried in Achan's tent. And they deal with it. And at the end of the day, the last verse of that chapter says, So the Lord was no longer angry. You know, I don't want you, but I look at this chapter, and immediately, it was, it was on the screen earlier, I, I go and I see Achan as Aladdin. It, it just comes to mind. Every time I read it, and I'm picturing in my mind, it's this, this guy named Aladdin. You know, with uh, his... It's, it's the Arabic dude with a big smile on his face. Maybe he's leaning up against somebody's house with a stolen apple in his hand. Like, that's the picture I see of Achan. But I was, and I kind of went a little farther, and I was looking, what are the similarities? And you know what? I didn't find many. Actually, it's more of a contrasting tale. You see, Aladdin was a thief who had a righteous heart. In the end, we ultimately see Aladdin as a man who is brave and selfless. Achan was actually an Israelite, probably of prestige, with a thieving heart. Ultimately, 
from Aiken's story, we find out that although he seems to be an upper-class fellow, his character is more of Jafar, actually, than of Aladdin, as his selfishness sows through. Okay, so for the rest of our time together today, you can see Jafar as Aiken. That Jafar is our biblical Aiken. So I'm reading through this story, and a question comes to my mind, and maybe it's the same question you have. God, why, why completely destroy Jericho? Doesn't that seem a little bit harsh? I mean, you could, you could feed the army who's been, you know, walking around in a desert. You could feed Israel with that stuff that you're just going to destroy. The people can be servants to Yahweh and Israel. Well, listen to Josh's command right before the walls came down. It's in a chapter earlier. It's in chapter 6. And they've just finished walking around the walls of Jericho uh, once every day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. So 13 times they've walked around the wall. It's getting right to crunch time. And the priests are just about to blow their horn. And Joshua says, when they blow their horn, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. You see, Jericho was like a first fruits. It was God's. It was a tithe to the Lord. Joshua goes on to say, Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourself will be completely destroyed. And you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made of silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Isn't this a little bit harsh, though? I mean, come on. They've been roaming the desert for 40 years. Let's celebrate. Let's have a big old barbecue, have some steak. We've been eating quail and manna. We could have some slaves. We won't have to chop around wood. We're in this land. We're going to need people to quarry and, and chop wood. Let's get those people in there. Let's have some wine and golden chalices. Let's celebrate. The land is ours. I'm kind of thinking that's what was going through Achan's head here. But Achan, buddy, this is not what God's will is. You see, Achan, Jericho is the first fruits offering a tithe. Achan, you could have had it all, man. You could have had the entire kit and caboodle, all of Israel. They were going to give you, God was going to give you all the land. But you couldn't wait. You screwed up. And you had to pay. And Israel had to pay as well. I guess another argument for Achan is that, you know, he didn't, he didn't hear that message from Joshua. Do you do that sometimes when you're reading stories? You try to like get into the character. You say, oh, but God, come on. Weren't you a little harsh on him? I mean, he's got this and he's got that. You know, Achan, he was just chilling out in the porta potty outside of Jericho. He didn't hear the message. You know? 
He didn't get the email, the text, the carrier pigeon died along the way. You know, my dog ate my homework. Just thought I'd throw out another excuse. (laughs) He didn't miss this meeting. He was there. Everyone in Israel was present. They were just about to enter Jericho. Joshua gave the message. The horn sounded and everybody went into Jericho after the walls came down. That was it. There's no way you could miss that message. And even if you did, would you not notice that people weren't pocketing things as they were going through Jericho? All the soldiers weren't pocketing things. They were doing what was instructed. They were sacrificing the city to God as a first fruits offering. Achan, come on, buddy. You screwed up. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourself will be completely destroyed. And you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made of silver, yeah, check, he did that. Gold, yeah, stole that too. Bronze or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. And now, dude, you got the blood of 36 Israelites on your hand. And worst of all, you've left Israel completely stranded with the possibility that God's presence would actually leave Israel, which is the worst thing ever. Come on, Achan. Did you not take the memo when they were in, in, in the story of Exodus? Where the Israelites sin. God said, go away from me, leave my presence. And Moses said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to leave. I, I need you. We need your presence. You see, God's presence leaving his people would be the worst consequence ever. I mean, one of the many themes, as I said earlier, is that in Joshua is that the nations melted in fear. It is so easy to win a battle when your enemies are shaking in their boots. When they are cowering, when they are melting in fear, and now the Israelites were paralyzed with fear in somebody else's land. God had removed his favor. He was in the process of removing his presence from his people because of one man's sin. You know, as I look at the, the story, Joshua 7 and 8 has a lot to it. Could preach a number of different messages on it. But I feel that this is God's message for us today. I want everybody to huddle up and listen. God is saying to us today, our sin affects the whole family. Our hidden sin affects the whole family. Fitting in a family-friendly series, a message that our hidden sin affects the whole family. You see, just like Achan's sin affected the whole nation of Israel, so too our hidden darkness. The bad things we do when no one is looking, that affects our family. 
I'm not talking about sinning against one another. I'm not talking about those sins where, say, we lie against somebody and then the obvious consequence is there's a lack of trust after that. Or, you know, that you steal from somebody and the obvious consequence is that affects the family because that family no longer has what you have stolen. That is an explicit consequence. That is a real consequence that we can see. What I'm talking here is about hidden sin. The things deep down in our hearts that we hide from everybody and seemingly only affects us and our relationship with God. But make no mistake, our hidden sin affects the whole family. I think there's a cultural disconnect here. There is a as we look at the Israelite culture and as we look at North American uh, individualistic culture, there's a disconnect as we look at the Israelite culture. I mean, doesn't it seem unfair that one man could cause God's presence to leave Israel? One man's sin. I mean, our culture says it totally different. We're in an individualistic society. You do the crime, you pay the time. I could see, you know, that it would be affecting them if, say, he was funneling money from the treasury and they couldn't buy the new shiny catapults they needed to attack the nations, you know? That would affect Israel. But it's not. It was that he coveted stuff. Nobody had to know. It was a hidden sin. I could also see if it was like Korah. Pastor Brad talked about it a while ago, about how the revolt and the rebellion against Aaron and Moses and ultimately God, that is a sin that affects everybody, right? There's rebellion. There's strife. That's not what we're talking about here. We need to be clear. Our hidden sin, hidden sin, affects the whole family. And you know this idea wasn't just prevalent in the Old Testament. This idea that the Israelites were a community. That they had family together. That they, they lived together. That they, they saw each other as family. I mean you can see that now if you look at Jewish culture. The temple culture in, in Jerusalem. The idea of family is paramount in that culture. If we look to the New Testament even, we can see how this reigns. The New Testament in Acts, the church is booming. It's growing like wildfire. The Spirit is alive and well, and droves of people are coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's amazing. The sick are being healed by the apostles. Widows and orphans are being taken care of. This is awesome. And right at the beginning of the work, Ananias and Sapphira donate a great deal of money to the church. This is great. We can help more people. But this idea of hidden sin is in the midst of that as well. Because the problem with Ananias and Sapphira's gifts is that they said they gave everything 
that they got from the sale of the land. But they kept some back. They coveted that wealth. And they said, oh no, it's all for you. It was their money to give. They could have held some back. They could have said, yeah, well, I got, you know, my, my new horse and cart to pay for, so I'm just going to keep this, and the rest is yours. But they didn't. They said, we're, we're giving it all. And then they just coveted some. Hidden sin affects the whole family. You know, I, I feel like this, I, I, I need to share what's going on in my heart as well. At Jericho, we believe in authentic community. We care, uh, we believe in sharing what's on our hearts and being real. All of the pastoral staff believe that. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I got to tell you, this week, I have felt Attacked in a big way, spiritually. Satan has attacked a couple things, and the first one is my sense of self-worth. You know, last week, a couple weeks ago, I was able to speak at a AIA hockey camp. It was awesome, Chris ran it. And in the camp, the volunteers were amazing. And through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I was able to give... Ten youth came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Awesome, right? And even more than that, kids recommitted their lives at this camp as well, and it was awesome, and all I could think was, somebody else could have done it better. Somebody else should have done it. Is that not the ridiculous thing you've ever heard? Satan attacks us where we're most vulnerable, and he attacks me. Sometimes in my sense of self-worth. It's another area that Satan attacks. Continuing to be real with you in those deep, dark places. And as I'm sharing, I hope that it's bringing to mind the hidden sin in your life. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us right now. I pray that you would reveal to us the hidden sin in our lives. The things that are affecting the family. The other thing, in my past, I've struggled with sins on the internet. Something I'm not proud of. And in that, there's still temptation, even when you've, you've left that behind. And I was tempted in a huge way. I told my wife this about three nights ago. And it was a temptation I haven't felt in a long, long time. And God was able to give me the strength and I didn't give in to any of that. But you know what I recognized in that after is that God was encouraging me through that because when something big is about to happen in your lives, expect Satan to come and try to stir it up. But if we give in to those hidden sins, What then? What would have happened the next day when I got to the construction site and I was able to preach the gospel, to minister the gospel to one of my trades workers? Would God have tweaked that in my heart? 
Or would that have just passed by because I could no longer hear the whisper of God because I had separated myself from him through my hidden sin? And what would have happened today? I don't think that I would be able to speak through the power of the Holy Spirit a message that I think we all need to hear today. And it's this. Please hear this. Our hidden sin affects the family. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our sin affects the whole family. You see, we are in a spiritual war. And God wants to impress upon you and he wants to impress upon me the gravity of the situation because I don't think we get it. Our families are on the line. Our kids, Raylin, my daughter, our spouses, Kim, our brothers and sisters, our mother and father, There is a spiritual battle going on for control spiritually and spatially of our home. And when we mess up, when you mess up, when I mess up, we give Satan grounds he has no business gaining. Our hidden sin, it affects the entire family. And sadly, the sin doesn't stop there. Just like it affects Israel, your hidden sin actually it affects this church, Jericho Ridge Community Church, and God's presence within it. That's what this whole story was about. Achan sin and it affected Israel. And to me, that's just scary. The ultimate effectiveness of God working through this church is dependent on you and it's dependent on me. The ministry of Spencer and Ali in Quebec. Danny Ferguson working with Youth Unlimited. Gary and Betty Stevenson working with Islamic people. H&K and other extensions of our church are actually affected by the sin that we have in our hearts that we're not willing to deal with. We hide it. It's not affecting anybody else. It's... It's, it's my problem. It's between me and God. It's okay. I can still do it. That's not what God's telling us in his word. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And this is a very private area. This is an area in your heart. And I feel like the spirit wants to do a work in this place. So I'm not going to give a whole bunch of examples of what hidden sins could be. I've mentioned coveting and, you know, that their materialism aspect of that. I mentioned self-esteem, self-worth, and how we have amazing abilities and we're actually downplaying them when we give in to our low sense of self-worth. There's so many other areas, and so I want to use this time the worship team is just going to play quietly in the background.
And I want you to just spend some time with your father that loves you. To expose the darkness, bring it into the light. Receive victory over it through the power of Jesus Christ, through the power of his death and resurrection. So right now, I just want you to cry out to Jesus and make right the hidden sin, the sacred parts of your heart that's damaged right now for your spiritual health, for your family's spiritual health, and for the spiritual health of this church. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us right now. Satan, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. You have no place here. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us right now. Praise God for the work of the Spirit here this morning. If you need to stay and just spend some time with God, continue at your seats or or here at the front. But I want to leave you with something. You see, we do hurt the family of God when we sin in our, our hiddenness, our hidden sins. And I want to challenge you after today, it doesn't have to be right now, but at some point in the next week, to find somebody who you can keep accountable to, who you can confess your sins to, who they can confess their sins to you, and that you can pray for each other and live out James 5 verse 16, which says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So do this. Be encouraged. Find an accountability. I have two accountability partners. Find somebody that you can, or a couple people. Maybe it's uh, the four, th- four quarters groups that we have. Or maybe it's just somebody that you've, you really get along with, that you talk to, that you're on the same plane. I hope you do this. I hope you find victory in that. <laughs>